You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll read uh, Genesis chapter 4 first. And I'll begin back in uh, chapter 3, verse 20, where it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make, notice, coats of skins and clothe them. He covered them. And no doubt they learn an important lesson that sin costs life. That sin has to be covered by blood. And God, first place here we see there must be the sacrifice of animals to clothe them with skin. Uh, They knew they were naked, evidently, before the fall. They had no consciousness of that. Uh, I believe they were clothed with light. They were created in his image and likeness. Revelation 19 tells us at the marriage supper of the Lamb, the saints are clothed in fine linen, white and bright. And it says that linen is the righteousness of the saints, which Adam was clothed into, the righteousness of Christ, created his image and likeness. He sins, the light goes out, he knows he's naked. Had no consciousness of that before. Here the Lord makes coverings for them so they realize that through sin there has to be death, there has to be covering. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. Now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever. The idea is in a fallen state. God didn't want to see that. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground, notice, from whence he was taken. And then verse 24 says, so he drove out the man. So he sent the man out of the Garden of Eden, no doubt instructing him, telling him that they had to go. Evidently, there's a great reluctance. Adam must be saying, Lord, don't, we've never been without, you don't, you know, we have no idea what life outside of your presence is like. There, there must have been a great pleading with the Lord so that the next verse, it says he drove him. First, It says that he sent him. Evidently, he was reluctant to go. And then it says the Lord drove out the man. And he placed at the east of of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way to the tree of life. That's why on all of the curtains and the tabernacle and temple, so forth, there's the cherubim there. So he drives them out. It tells us here from Eden. Um, I don't think he does that as an arresting police officer or as a drill instructor. I think he drives out Adam and Eve as a heartbroken father and sees his fallen son, fallen daughter. And uh, it is in that context that they are sent forth 
Chapter 4 says, And Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, <clears throat> it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, which is, he's made a mistake, and the Lord appeals to him as he appeals to all of us, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Unto thee shall be his desire. Sin will desire to reign over you, but thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. It came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and he slew him. And we're told in Hebrews chapter 4, the just shall live by faith. Verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Verse 4 says, By faith Abel offered. So by faith it's telling us Abel worships. He offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Greek grammar, it was more excellent because it was offered in faith. More excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a testimony. Obtained a testimony is in the passive form. It was pronounced upon him. He didn't do it himself. He obtained a testimony that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. The of there is a P. God testifying upon his gifts. No doubt it seems fire falling on the sacrifice. And by it, he being dead, Abel, yet speaketh, is still speaking. So he tells us it was by faith. He's going down the hall of faith now. He's going to tell us that he worshipped by faith, that Enoch walked by faith, that Noah served by faith. You know, over he's going to take us now through this you know, these these snapshots of different men in the Old Testament that had faith operative in their lives, and he's going to tell us in what form it it manifests and how God honored it. Here it says that it was by faith that Abel worshipped. He offered a sacrifice. The emphasis in the verse is on his faith, not on the fact that it's a blood sacrifice in comparison to the fruit of Cain's labor, there is a, a, a uh, contrast there, no doubt. But the, the, the emphasis of the chapter and of the verse in the, in the Greek structure is it was the faith that he exercised when he did this that God honored. Look, in the Old Testament, if you were too poor to offer a lamb, you could offer two turtle doves like Joseph and Mary did when they dedicated Jesus. 
If you were so poor that you couldn't even get your hands on turtle doves or pigeons, you were allowed to bring for a sin offering handful of grain. So it isn't as though God detested any offering that came from the ground. He sent them out to till the ground. He had told them by the sweat of your brow, you're going to bring forth from the ground. He told Adam before the fall to keep the garden and so forth. So, and there's anything in that that's wrong in and of itself. The idea here is that Abel comes by faith, and it's in faith that he offers a blood sacrifice. And he says that sacrifice is better than that that Cain offered. And in it, he obtained a testimony. There's a testimony here for us that he was righteous. God bearing witness of that, of his gifts, literally upon his gifts. And it's by it that he still is speaking. Genesis chapter 4 tells us that Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. So uh, he has intimacy with his wife. He knew her. She conceived. And when she has this boy, she names him Cain, which means acquired. And she says, I've acquired a man from the Lord. No doubt she's thinking of the prophecy that the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent. She's thinking this is the fulfillment of that because she said, I've gotten a man by the Lord. Then it says after that, his brother is born and he is named Abel, which means vanity. Because the first one didn't make much of an impression and here comes another one. So we'll name him Abel. You know, understand these two boys are the first two humans born outside of paradise. These are the first two born. Uh, realize that Cain is the first human being to go through the terrible twos. There would never have been that without the fall. And they're living to be eight, nine hundred years old. So it may be the terrible first 50 years. We don't know, you know. Uh, we don't know how old he was when he made the sacrifice. Some scholars feel maybe he was at least 90. You know, you can imagine Cain, 90. Oh, here's my mom, Eve, 91. You know, so we know she was young when she had the kids, maybe a year old. We don't know. And uh, so, so Cain and Abel, they're brought before us. Look, th they're not Neanderthal men, okay? These are not guys dragging clubs, you know. Evolutionists love that kind of stuff. The Bible tells us that they fell down, they're not evolving. They come from something much higher. They're brilliant, both of them. They come from the same gene pool. Look, they're both sinners. They both have temptation. We don't know what they're tempted with. It's not uh, Facebook or, you know, they, they're tempted. Maybe they're fighting over a peach tree. I, I don't know. They're, you know. But they're sinners. They both have a sinful nature. And God deliberately puts them before us because they're more alike than any identical twins that have ever been born. There's only dad's side of the family. There's not mom's side and dad's side. Gee, he looks like mom's side. Gee, he looks like dad's side. You know, there's none of that. Adam is created by God in an act of creation. Eve is made from Adam. She has the exact same DNA, the exact same genes and chromosomes. There was only one side to the family. So these two boys, no doubt, look exactly the same. And they're both sinners. 
There's no difference between them except for their worship. And they're the fountainhead of all worship on the planet today, and it's why God takes the time to set them before us and describe this scene. Look, we like to think, well, the difference between, you know, our kids, you know, one hung with a good crowd, one hung with a bad crowd, not here. You know, one liked hip-hop, one liked heavy metal, not here. You know, uh, know, one played football, one played tennis, not here. You know, it it wasn't one defriended the other. You only got one friend on the planet, you don't have a mobile device. None None of that is going on. They didn't have to fight over, you know, whose house they're going to on Christmas, Easter, the in-laws, you know, your family, Eve, my family. There's no, there's none of that. These are the first human beings outside of paradise. The world is still pretty pristine. You know, we have, we have uh, fossils of 50-foot asparagus ferns. Imagine some of the things that there were when the world was pristine. And no doubt the boys here and there would come, you know, hey, Dad, look at this. You know, I just found a salamander four foot long, you know. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Okay. That's good. Good. Or, you know, Dad, we just brought down a butterfly. The two of us dove on him. Look at him. He's six foot across. Yeah, he's pretty. That's cool. You know. Hey, Dad, uh, look at this rose. It's four foot across. Smell that. Mom loves roses. We only have to bring one a month to her, you know. Yeah, boys, that's great, you know. And they must have said to Eve at some point, what is Dad's problem? This guy is always bummed out. No matter what we talk to him about, he's like, eh, yeah, it's exciting, it's great, you know. And at some point, she must have said, boys, we were on the other side. We looked into his face. We walked with him. We talked with him. We heard his voice. Everything you see in creation is just a reflection of him bearing witness to the fact that there's a creator. But we looked into his eyes. We heard the tone of his voice. That's what's wrong with your dad. That's wrong. That's what's wrong with the boys. And no doubt occasionally, here or there, towards the end of the day at, or early in the morning, they'd see dad head off with a lamb or a goat. They'd hear the animal, and he'd go into the distance where the altar was there. And they'd hear the animal stop crying. There was silence. They'd sit. Sometime later, Dad would come back, blood on his hands, his robe, tears in his eyes, peace on his face, peace on his face. Dad finally found something he likes. Look at the look on his face when he comes back from there. And more is caught than taught. There's certainly an exhortation here for every parent in this room. And please understand, when you're teaching your kids, you're teaching your grandkids too. Solomon 
would say to his son, My son, listen to me. I will tell you the things that my father said to me, David. When you're teaching your kids, you are also teaching your grandchildren. And these parents had to say to these kids, Listen, we're from another world. We're not from this world. And our destiny is not in this world. That's what this blood sacrifice is all about. There was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And you're not from this world. Listen, this is what we try to tell our kids and our grandkids today. This is, this is a passage. This is a pilgrimage. What this is, is the line between two dates on the tombstone. The dash between two dates. That's our existence in this world. We're not from this world, and we ain't staying here. This is not our destiny. We have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, it fades not away. We are eternal. Once Christ has come into our hearts and regeneration has taken place, the light goes on, and there's a whole other kingdom we understand and we begin to long for. And for, you just imagine for this family, the four of them, at least early here at this point in time, there's no distractions. You know, there's no, there's no Fox News. There's no weather report. There's no, uh, you know, traffic report. They're not worried about this. They're not worried about this. There's no shootings. There's no terrorism. There's nothing going on, you know. None of that stuff. There's nothing distracting. You know, not even the good stuff is going on. The Eagles and the Sixers, none of that stuff is even going on. You know, we live in a world that's become crowded. Look at this sanctuary. Adam and Eve and the two boys would have fallen on the floor if they'd have looked around and seen this many faces. Roads and cities and lights and movies and television and mobile devices. All of that stuff. None of that. None of that in their lives. And it was something to say to them, look, just a few years ago, your father and I, we were in paradise. We walked with him. We looked into his face. We heard the tone of his voice. We spent our days with him. We asked questions. We, you know, and I believe Adam could just step into his presence in his unfallen state. Like Christ stepped in and out of the room. Just what it must have been. And then they're the first ones that have to pass the baton to the next generation. And it's always the same. It's the blood of a lamb. It's always the same. It's never changed. For thousands of years, it's the blood of the Lamb. From this scene flow the two streams that have filled the earth. God's religion of substitutionary atonement and man's religion of self-works and self-worth. And one religion still hates the other religion. And believers have been persecuted, whether it was the prophets, Jesus talks about it and so forth, whether it's the churches martyred, put to death, that's happening. More martyrs in the last century than all the histories of the church combine. And the biggest persecutors of the church are those involved in man's religion, man's righteousness, man's unwillingness to hear about the scenes in the first few chapters of Genesis or to acknowledge what the Bible says. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. It's filled the earth. And you and I have this challenge to try to tell our kids and our grandkids there's another world. 
You're all clogged up with all of this stuff that never stops. And it pounds on your brain all day, into your ears, into your eyes. You're all surrounded with it. But there's another world. There's another world. And what's been born inside of us is eternal. And we're called. And there's something we're going to. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's an end to human history. Jesus is going to come. He's going to gather his bride and carry her over the threshold. And that's all by the blood of the Lamb. It's all by the blood of the Lamb. That has been the one stream through human history. Substitutionary atonement. The other stream has always been man's religion, man's ability, man's government, and his hatred of the other stream. And it changed. So they come before us in this picture. In the fullness of time they come. Look, we have no reason to think that Cain hadn't offered lambs before this. We don't know how old. Are they 80 years old? We don't know know how old. That's not the point here. It's not not told to us. He's keeping the ground. It, It says they were drove out and God told them to keep the ground, to labor by the sweat of their brow. He had told Adam before the fall to keep the ground. There's anything ignoble about that. And it isn't as though Cain's not religious. He comes to worship. But he wants to do it his own way and stick his finger in the eye of God and what God sees man needs. His brother, Abel, is a keeper of sheep. Now, the, the sad thing to me about that is they didn't eat meat till after the flood. So you're raising these lambs and you can't have rack of lamb. That's a bummer. But... No doubt he's raising sheep both for covering, because Adam and Eve were covered with the animal skins for clothing, and for sacrifice. And for sacrifice. It says, in the process of time, the Hebrew is literally in the end of days. Is it a... a particular? There's no law. There's no religion at this point in time. There's no Moses. There's not... At a certain day that God had set aside, in the end of days it came to pass that Cain brought, notice he brings, of the fruit of the ground an offering, he comes to worship unto the Lord. Abel, he also brought to a place on that day the firstlings of his flock, and notice this, and the fat thereof, which tells us the animal is sacrificed. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. He acknowledged it somehow. It doesn't tell us we're going to believe that fire, as it happened, and you can go through the Old Testament and see the times that fire falls on, that God acknowledges, confirms. But Cain, and the Lord had respect to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. Cain is very wroth. His countenance fell, that look on his face. And the Lord said unto Cain, look, he reaches to him, he speaks to him. Why art thou wroth? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, if you do what's right, shall thou not be accepted? The door is not shut. Cain, you've worshipped before. 
Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. No doubt Adam and Eve had instructed the boys. They didn't have a Bible like we do, but they had the Word of the Lord in regards to worship and sacrifice. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin is lying at the doors, waiting for you, desiring to rule over you, but you shall rule over it. Cain would hear none of it. He talked with Abel, his brother. We don't know whether he thought, oh, you like to shed blood, huh? Came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother. He slew him. You know, it's interesting. We're told in the New Testament, 1 John 3 says, We should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. Wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. We're told in the book of Jude, it says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They've run away from what God has prescribed in regards to worship. Luke tells us this. <clears throat> he said unto them, uh, the wisdom, In the wisdom of God, I will send unto them prophets, and apostles, some of them shall they slay and persecute, that the blood, listen, of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, who perished between the altar and the temple, so forth. The Lord himself said Abel was a prophet. Revelation 19, verse 10, tells us why. It says, because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. They both come to worship. Abel is not more righteous than Cain. They're both sinners. They, they both are born outside of paradise. Uh, there is no righteous line of Seth. The, the descendants of Seth had to offer blood sacrifices. They were sinner. He, the, the, you know, Seth, I mean, Abel is just as sinful as Cain. They're both fallen. They're both tempted. They both have no right to come to God. There's the only approach that God gave, because the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world, the only connection to the other world that God gave was you do this. And you shed the blood of an innocent substitute. If you do that in faith, you will be accepted. Hebrews is telling us about the faith that he exercised when he did it because he was a sinner. He knew the things in him that weren't right. He knew the struggles that he had. He listened to his father talk about the other side, the other world, what heaven, what glory was like. He heard those things. And he came to the Lord with the blood of a substitute and in faith, Lord, I'm a sinner. I got no right to come except your prescribed way of worship through the blood of an innocent substitute. And he found rest in that and trusted God at his word. And it says God was pleased with that, gave testimony to it. 
the fire fell on it. Just imagine what that was like. The lamb had been slain from the foundation of the world. All through the first chapters we're hearing, and they, and we, let us create man in our image. Just imagine what God sees when he sees his first generation offering a lamb and the blood being shed. The Father, Son, and the Spirit must stand and look at that and understand this is the stream. This is the scarlet thread. This is what will reach Calvary Chapel of Philadelphia one day. This will go around the world, and it will gather in thousands upon thousands of those who trust what I say. And fire came down on that to attest to it. Cain brings of his own labor, his own fruit, his own sweat. There's no faith in that. God never said he was against it, but he didn't prescribe it. And the whole system of the world around us that does what it does in its own sweat, in its own wisdom, in its own way, in its own religious nonsense, still persecute those who say there is one way. It has not changed. It is the same today. To Cain, God was a taker. He was a receiver. He took what you brought from your sweat, from your labor. He he would take that. To Abel, God was a giver. Yes, you came with the blood of the Lamb so he could bestow grace upon your life. So that he could put his arms around you and give to you a hope and a destiny. And they worshipped, look, in different ways. Um, It says that by faith Abel worshipped God with a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By which testimony was given him. It's passive there. He didn't do it. God, for you and I today, bore testimony of Abel that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, he yet speaketh. That Abel is still speaking. He's spoken to a thousand generations. Speaking to us today. Look. Parents, your kids watch you more as caught than taught. If you're completely happy and fulfilled with everything that's in this world, they never see that longing in your eye. They never see that this world's not enough in you. You constantly paint the picture, if I had more of this, more of that, they're going to see that. If they look at you, though, and they know... You know, if I get up early and Dad's alone with his Bible open. Or sometimes when we say grace, a tear rolls down his cheek. When he prays with us before we go to sleep, he's genuine. He's really talking to God.
You're passing the baton, not just to your kids, but to your grandkids. Parents. Because the world that we're in, we're going to have to tell the next generation in the world we're in that we're not of this world. This world that crowds in on us every day through media, through radio, through politics. Things we're caught up in all of that. I didn't even live in Washington, and I think more about Washington than I do the little borough that I live in. Think of all of the stuff that crowds in on us. Think of all of the anger we get about what's going on around us and the hatred. Think of the people that are dying around the world. Think of the insanity. Think of what's going on, the economy, the stock market, terrorism, all of this stuff. And social media, they they befriended me. Think of all of this stuff that goes on from this world. They didn't have any of that. They had peach trees. They had, you know, it, it 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 was completely different. And mom and dad were saying, you're the first generation out of paradise. There's another place. We weren't made to be here. We can never be happy here. God didn't make us for this place. And he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. He's calling us home to an incurrence, incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away. He's put eternity in our hearts. He's saved us. He's turned on the light with the glorious gospel of Christ. We know there's another world. And as Christians and the last generation of Christians, we can't let all of that get suffocated by what's going on around us. We have to say to our own kids, to our grandkids, to our brothers and sisters that are not saved, to those around us, there's another world. There is another world. They're going to find out. When they die, they're going to find out there's another world that goes on forever and forever and forever. Too late if you end up on the wrong side of things. Our message is there is another world. It's filled with glory. It's beyond our imagination. There's no suffering. There's no hatred. There's no bigotry. There's no sickness. There's no cancer. You know, there's no orphans there. There's just, there's another world. And we're not worthy of it. But God so loves us that if we will come to him by faith through the blood of his own son, his own dear son, we're in can't deserve it, can't earn it, can't be worthy of it. Somebody else had to buy the ticket. If you do it that way, you're in. You try to do it on your own, it's the way of Cain. You're going to end up hating people who say there's only one way. You're going to join the ranks of this intrusive, degenerating world that's around us that thinks freedom is something that it can exist outside of paradise. And it isn't. It isn't. My encouragement to you parents is get to the kids, grandkids. Just It has to be real in your heart and in your mind. There's another world. We're from another world. This is not we from. And we can come in faith. That's what God looked like. Look, look to, to Abel. It was his faith. It wasn't just the blood. He, he worshipped in faith. This is what God asked for. This is what God said about substitutionary atonement. Lord, I'm just as sinful as my brother. I'm no better than him. You know, he, he could say I'm no better than anybody else on the planet, but that was just his brother. You know, I'm no better than my brother, Lord. But you said, 
if I came with this sacrifice and trusted you in that regards that you'd receive me. Look, you have to understand that this morning. There's only one way. There's only two paths here, two streams that flow from this scene. It doesn't say, because I know Christians, I'm one, that can be knuckleheads. I'm a Christian, but they're still struggling with this, compromising here, still messed up with this. But they get before the Lord broken and say, Lord, I want to get away from this. I want to be done with it, Lord. Clean up my life. Be merciful to me. And then you know these other goody two-shoe stuffed shirt Pharisees that think they're better than everybody else, and they look at the sinner and say, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like that guy. And the Lord says, you think they're getting into heaven? We come by faith and faith alone. That faith is placed in God's system of substitutionary atonement. I am getting into heaven because I trust God and what he said about the blood of his son. I am not working my way there. I'm not getting stars on my refrigerator. My report card would never get me in, okay? I'm going on a scholarship, and I keep thinking they wrote the wrong name on it, you know. I'm going because of what he's done and what rest and what confidence that is in this world. We need to communicate that to those around us. There's another world. It is the place we belong. When we get there, we're going to take that deep breath and understand this is home. This is what I was made for. Everything feels right. Everything looks right. Everything sounds right. The temperature is right. Everything is right. And you can talk to Abel all day long. Have him fill in the rest. But there's a difference between the condemnation of the devil and the conviction of the spirit. You as a believer should not be under the condemnation of the devil. Because if you have faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, you are set free from all of that. You're set free from all of that. We do have conviction of the Holy Spirit. Neither condemnation or conviction feel good. You have to understand that the condemnation of the devil will drive you away from Jesus Christ and tell you that you're not worthy. You've been a Christian all these years. You still mess up. You're still sinful. You think sinful thoughts. You have sinful attitudes. Yeah, maybe you're not out doing it, but you think about it or whatever. Maybe you are out doing it. The devil's going to say, you know, and that is condemnation from the devil, and it drives you away from Jesus Christ. The conviction of the Holy Spirit says, you're a jerk. You better run to the cross as fast as you can. The conviction of the Holy Spirit doesn't feel good, but it drives us to Jesus Christ. And that's how you tell the difference. And that is taking God at his word, and it is worshiping with faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And for you and I to come into his presence, believe there's a whole other world that we are not worthy of. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. For us to come there, we have to come in faith that the blood of someone else has purchased our entrance into eternity. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. 
It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, everything from Cain surrounds us and chokes us and suffocates us and draws our hearts and our minds and our sinful desires away from all of this. God says we're going to start going down the hall of faith. Listen, let's start with Abel. Not Adam. Not Adam. With Abel. Because Adam, when he sinned, he knew he was naked and he hid himself. He fled from God. Abel brought to God. He didn't hide himself. He believed what his father said. He came to God. He didn't hide himself. He didn't flee. He's the first outside of paradise, living in faith, bringing to God the Lamb and saying, God Almighty, Father, here I am to worship. I'm a sinner. I'm a jerk. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. Ask my husband. But I'm here to worship. And I'm not running from you. I believe that through the blood of the Lamb, redemptive love is showered all over me where I could never earn it or deserve it. It gives me peace, Lord. I watched it on my Father's face. I know it for myself now. If you don't know Christ, I encourage you to change that today. There was no religion here. There were no Methodists. There were no Baptists. There were no Catholics. There were Jews. There were Muslims. There was not here in this scene. There was none of that. Individuals who could either approach God their own way, with their own stuff, with their own sweat, sinners, or there were sinners that could come without their own stuff, at the sacrifice of someone else at the cost of an innocent substitute. And they came in faith that that's what God wanted. That's what God wants. That's why he sent his son. That's how he wants us to come. There's no love like that in this world. It's from the other side. It's a love from paradise. It's not human love. We have to have faith just to receive it and to enjoy it. But you and I today are to approach him that way through the blood of his son and of faith. Lord God, this is the means of redemption. This is the means of reconciliation. This is the ticket to the other world, Father. I can hardly wait. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. If you need to pray with us today to receive Christ, I encourage you to make your way up here. After the service, we'd love to pray with you and give you a copy of the scripture. Father, we thank you for these things as we look at them. And Lord, each time we revisit these places, they become deeper and more profound and, and more powerful, Lord. And we know there's another world, Lord. We know that you would say the kingdom of God is among you. It's in your midst. We know you say the angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him. There's a whole other world that surrounds us that our origin and our destiny is related to that place. Lord, forgive us. We get so distracted. We get, Lord, so choked 
by everything tangible that floods upon us, Lord. Teach us how to walk in faith in the midst of all of these things. Teach us, Father, as your word says, to set our affections on things above, not on things of the earth, on the other world. And Lord, we can only ask and approach with our request in the blood of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Joe Foch. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Joe's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.